Good morning. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's win again. That big number down to six. You win six more in these last 10 and you're in. It's certainly possible that if you didn't win six, you could still get in here. Actually, the odds are extremely likely that if you only won five, you'd still get in. But six, we know for sure. Six, this is the target until other things happen with Texas, Seattle, Houston. And all of those teams are off today. So today is your day to make up an extra half game. If you win today, actually, uh, there's no scenario in which Monday you're not in a playoff spot uh, on Monday. Now it's not locked in, but uh, yeah, big, big couple of swing games these last two days. Uh, we, we laid it out when we set up this two week, 12 game stretch that you probably didn't have to go crazy during it. If you won seven or eight, you were in really, really good shape, but the degree of difficulty is going to continue to get higher. You see Garrett Cole today, who will likely win the American League Cy Young unless you batter him around. Um, you'll see Garrett Cole again next week. You're going to see the Tampa Bay Rays this weekend. And this weekend, certainly, they still have something to play for. The division is within reach for them still mathematically. And then next weekend, who who knows? The Rays um, could still be playing for the division. They could be trying to knock you down out of the playoffs or into wildcard three because they'd rather play one of the AL West teams. Who knows? There's difficult. There's a higher degree of difficulty ahead still. So it's good that you can get your work done early. We We kind of highlighted the importance of that. Now, yesterday, you maybe looked at Michael King, and you're like, well, this guy started the season as a reliever. He bumped to uh, an opener role. He's only started a handful of games here. He'd only gotten up to, I think, 80 pitches prior to this one. Well, maybe that's a spot where you can put up some offense on the Yankees. Uh, nah. Michael King had 13 strikeouts and zero walks. He was awesome. Uh, Jay's only managed to get one run off of him. It was three uh, sequenced singles in the third inning. Just single, 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 and that got one in. But that freed things up, as Kevin Gosman said after the game, and I'm paraphrasing here, but given what, given the state of the Yankees lineup, once the Jays had a little bit of a lead, that let him operate differently. He walked Aaron Judge twice. He walked Gleyber Torres once. But the implication there was, hey, similar to Matt Chapman when the Angels were playing against the Blue Jays, why let Aaron Judge beat you when the rest of this lineup is the way it is. So Gosman, I mean, he didn't cruise the three walks or three walks, but those seem to be very strategic walks, not necessarily bad control walks. He goes six innings. He strikes out 10, uh, Chad green and Jordan Hicks do a good job in seventh, eighth. Eric Swanson gives up a, a garbage time home run to the mustachioed Austin Wells, but that's it. That's it for offense for the Yankees. Jays win six to one. They've completely shut this offense down over two days here. Now, the series finale tonight, they'll see Garrett Cole. It'll be Jose Barrios on the mound. If the Jays win that one, they'll move to a game and a half up. Because, again, um, Houston, Seattle, Texas all won yesterday. They're all off today before their weekend series. So this is kind of a, a freebie to gain a half game or, or lose a half game. Um, we're going to do a lot to set up those weekend series here and elsewhere tomorrow. Going to do a little bit of that on Blue Jays Central later tonight as well. Um, so the way things stand right now, Jays are 85 and 67. It's actually the exact same record through 152 games that they had each of the last two years, which I don't know. Does, how does that make you feel? Uh, last year they made the playoffs 2021. They did not. They're in good control here. You win six down the stretch. You're in, you win five. You're probably in, uh, you only win four. Then things start to get a, a little dicey and you're looking at the out of town scoreboard. Fangraphs puts the odds right now at 83.9% that you'll get in. 
you got to be feeling pretty good. And more to the point about feeling pretty good where you're at in the standings, well, you've played some pretty good baseball of late. And yeah, the Rangers sweep is not that far in the rear view, and Boston and the Yankees are not Tampa Bay and the Orioles, but you've won five in a row. It's only the second time all year you've done that. You've done it while dealing with, you know, Brandon Belt on the IL, no Danny Jansen, no Vlad last night. By the way, uh, we found out after the game that he went for an MRI. We didn't have results yet. We'll surely hear more today uh, down in New York. We'll probably hear it from Caitlin McGrath's Twitter account. Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic joins us now. Oh, we lost her. We she she doesn't join us now. She'll join us momentarily. But yeah, the Vlad thing is notable. So if you missed it yesterday, Vlad was initially in the lineup. We knew from the day prior he'd been dealing with uh, some discomfort and soreness in his knee. He had hobbled down the line a couple times in Tuesday's game. He had been removed for a pinch runner once that game was safely in hand. And yesterday he was in the lineup, and then he was a late scratch. He didn't feel great during pregame. Um, you know, his pregame hitting routine, they scratched him. They sent him for an MRI. So even within this nice five game winning streak where they're actually playing some reasonably, uh, they're, they're playing baseball. Uh, they're beating the Yankees. They're beating the Red Sox, uh, the Red Sox by the skin of their teeth, the Yankees quite handily. But as Whit Merrifield would tell you, uh, maybe not the, the best of Yankee teams right now. Anyway, even within that, even within the playoff odds increasing, there is some anxiety because Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Scratch from the lineup, headed for an MRI. Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic joins us now. She's down in New York. Before we talk Vlad stuff, Caitlin, uh, how are you? How's New York? It's great. It's been really nice the last few days here. Pretty warm weather, and it's been a while since I've been in New York. This is my first time this year, so yeah, I'm enjoying it. I guess that's the one drawback of the more balanced schedule is fewer New York trips, right? Exactly. I think, yeah, the team was here, what, like in April, I think, and then they haven't been back since, so yeah. A lot of Yankees this weekend next to close the season here. Um, Caitlin, before we get into some of the Yankees stuff and last night's game, let's start with Vlad because even in a five-game winning streak, even with some positivity, that's the headline item today. Banged up Tuesday, scratched Wednesday, headed for an MRI. I know we won't get results until later today, but what was the you know what was the energy around the team when that topic came up post game yesterday? Does there seem to be some concern there? Um. I mean, John Schneider's pretty good at, I don't know, being like level with uh, injuries and stuff like that. And so before the game, he was talking about Vlad kind of grinding and, you know, the knee had been bothering him a little bit. But at that time, it at that time he was on the lineup and he was DHing, I believe. So there was some optimism, I suppose, that they could keep his bat in the lineup and that he could go out there just not on his feet for the day. And obviously Vlad wasn't feeling quite ready um, to do that. Um, you know, I think that right now the word is just like, you know, they're being careful. They're being overly cautious. They don't want to push him. I mean, I saw Vlad after the game, just walking around and he didn't look too concerned or anything. He just kind of looked like his normal self after the game. Um, so I guess I don't have all the information, so I don't want to necessarily say, like, there's no issue at all. Like, I don't know. Maybe the MRI will reveal something. But, you know, before the game, the word was that it was just some soreness and they didn't think it was anything structural. So unless that's changed and it could have changed by now, um, we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, it didn't seem like, um, you know, Vlad's absence was sort of uh, bringing down the room or anything like that. They were happy to get the win. Yeah, and, and look, I think with Vlad, it always stands out a little more because that was only the eighth time in the last four seasons he's missed a game. Uh, if you go back to the start of 2020, Caitlin, the only names who have 
ha- who have been on in the lineup more than him. Uh, well, the only one who's played more games is Matt Olson. And then the only ones with more plate appearances are Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman, and Marcus Simeon. Vlad has basically played more baseball over the last four seasons than just about anyone. So I guess, um, is the, do you, do you feel a sense of that? Like it, this is maybe, maybe feels bigger just because it's so rare for Vlad to sit down, even though, yeah, this time of year, you know, you got to keep the, even though you haven't clinched yet, you got to keep the playoffs in mind a, a little bit here and be cautious. Are you kind of figuring that this, this is why, I mean, this, Hey, Blake is asking this question only because Vlad sits out so irregularly. Yeah. I mean, I think I wrote that yesterday. Like, I don't know that I, I didn't go back to 2020, but I think even since 2021, he's like fourth on the list of, games played um, behind some of the guys you mentioned and yeah like it feels like it takes a lot for him to be out of the lineup and especially you know in the last two weeks of the season when he knows how important these games are and how much they need to win them and uh, he's very much a team guy and doesn't want to let his team down and wants to be in the lineup and all that stuff so that stood out to me honestly like him getting stretched just because of, as you say, like his reputation to play all the time. He's never been on the IL. He he really is able to grind through stuff and, and play through stuff. That's kind of a point of pride for him. And I know he likes being in the lineup every day if he can. He hasn't played. He wouldn't have played 162 this year because he missed earlier games. But he has done 162 before, and that's a point of pride for him. So I think that, yeah, like him missing stands out to me, but also – you know, he knows the bigger picture here too. And the team knows the bigger picture here too. And they want him assuming that they can hold on to a playoff spot. They want him in those games uh, more importantly. So if it's just a matter of resting the knee a couple of days so that he's fresher next week and potentially beyond, I think the team's kind of thinking about that and, and glad would be too. So the, the Jays did their, did, did their job and look, the Yankees are a 500 team. There's actually going to be a funny thing today where uh, if the Jays beat the Yankees, their record, against 500 teams is actually going to drop dramatically because the Yankees will then be a sub 500 team on the year. Um, But this is a Yankees team that is not, there are no great shakes right now. Whit Merrifield. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. He kind of said after the game, like, yeah, it's great that we've won five in a row, but we got to kind of show we can do it against teams that are a little more locked in. Uh, The Red Sox can continue to skid here a little bit, but the Jays have won five in a row. And even if the Red Sox and Yankees are not the Orioles and Rays, they're also not the Royals and Athletics and Rockies. And this is only the second time all year the Jays have managed to string five together Um, in talking to the guys and being around them the the last couple of days and on the weekend. uh, I don't want to do the the whole momentum thing we did after the Royals series. But do you at least get the sense that, you know, this team has found that level of, okay, we got, we got to lock in every day. Let's stop playing around. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think that the Ranger series could have been somewhat of a wake up call. Like not that they didn't go into that wanting to win it, but again, like after that series, it just, you know, it feels, it felt like the team was like shell shocked in some ways and that like, they just played like the four worst games of their entire season, <laughs> essentially like in a row in a really big series. And, you know, I say that because I think the starting pitching and the pitching in general has just been so good that that really was like the worst four game stretch for the pitching staff just came at a really bad time. But, um, you know, they've shown good resiliency to bounce back. And, you know, I think at the time after the Rangers series, it was, 
fair to question, like, can they climb out of this? Like, is this going to sink them? Um, can they find the momentum? Because, you know, Boston, yeah, they're not super engaged right now, as, as Witt might say, but they're still a pretty good lineup. And, like, you know, they did push the Blue Jays to the brink in that four or three-game series. I know Blue Jays ultimately swept it, but, you know, one game went to 13 innings, another game was tied in the ninth and needed a, a walk-off. So, you know, th- those were um, kind of – extra resiliency testing games because I think it would have been easy for the Jays to like fold, especially in that 13 inning game um, when they went behind again, I think in the 12th and, and, you know, they were able to, to come back and then ultimately win it. And yeah, like I've, I've honestly been impressed with the way that they've been able to really put the Rangers series behind them. Like, you know, players always say you do that and you flip, turn the page and I, but I do think it's easier said than done. And I think that I've been really impressed just with how, they've been able to get back on track. And of course they've been helped by the fact that Texas really stumbled immediately after they won that series. And, and neither the Rangers or the Mariners, I guess, or even the Astros are really running away. Um, at this point, they're all kind of bunched up together. So the Blue Jays have done well to insert themselves back in it. And it's still very close though. Like I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a second, but the, the Jays, you know, have a tough test against, Garrett Cole today. He's kind of trying to lock down his first Cy Young award, and that's going to be that's going to be a touch for the Blue Jays because they've done well to sort of score out on runs, but they the Yankee starting pitching has been pretty good this series so far. Yeah, which wasn't. I mean, look, Michael King had looked good of late, but we hadn't seen him go seven innings. We certainly hadn't seen him put up a thirteen strikeout to zero walk performance. Um, Clark Schmidt's kind of you know he's the type of guy that gives the Blue Jays trouble with the the cutter and sinker mix in, in the low to mid nineties. Um, but still, yeah, you'd expect a little more damage earlier in those games. But hey, they they got it against the bullpen. They won those games within yesterday's game. Um, Spencer Horwitz, he hadn't started a game since September 12th. So over a week, he'd had two pinch hit appearances in the time since struck out in both of them. Yesterday, he comes through with uh, a pretty big walk and a, a pretty big hit as well. Comes up with three RBI in that game. Caitlin, I, uh, I will have to take a small gripe with in the year 2023, uh, Spencer Horwitz dabbing on the Blue Jays social media feeds still. But other than that, um, a young guy like this being able to step in and we saw it with David Schneider uh, about a month ago, you know, playing only really once a week and being able to step in and do that. Um, how obviously it's big for this team, especially with Vlad being scratched, but in being around it and getting to talk to Spencer Horwitz a little bit, what, what helps a young guy like that be ready in a situation like that? Because it's, it's, Something I imagine, like, look, if Kevin Biggio comes into a game as a pinch hitter, only plays once a week, he has a bit of experience with that. But Spencer Horwitz has been an everyday starter all the way through the minors up to this point. It's pretty new to him. Yeah, I mean, I haven't talked to Spencer specifically about this, but I have talked to Davis Schneider a a little bit more about, you know, his routine and what he's been doing and what he did when he wasn't playing as much. And, and, you know, they always just talk about getting the work in no matter what, doing your pregame work, um, you know, doing your hitting routine, your fielding routine, all that kind of stuff, getting ready so that you are prepared on a daily basis so that if you are inserted into the game, whether it's a pinch hit or, you know, a last-minute start or whatever, that you, you feel ready. And I think the Blue Jays, 
Um, you know, the more experienced guys, you set a pretty good example for getting your work in and doing everything you need to do to be prepared. I mean, guys like, you know, at Chapman and, and Bo Bichette and Vladdy and, you know, all the guys really, you are, you're always seeing them walk around and going through their different routines and, and going into different rooms and settings and whatnot and getting ready. And so I, I think those young guys have the benefit of sort of watching those experienced guys, what they do and how they get ready and how they prepare and they just step in. And, you know, John Schneider kind of took, um, took a moment to really um, note Spencer's performance yesterday. Uh, he specifically talked about like the walk and how he showed, you know, a lot of good presence, I guess, in that appearance to, you know, cause it's easy for a guy to be intimidated by, Yankee Stadium and I, I think it's the first time Spencer's been playing here and you know it'd be easier easy to kind of just swing and miss in that situation try to do too much but he didn't and you know he took the walk and then later on he scored uh the two RBI single I think it was so mm-hmm. yeah it's a definitely a good performance for him yeah and uh, look you know he's a he's a guy with a good plate approach and you just saw a couple guys get walked but you also come up with the bases loaded and yeah I'd, I'd probably you'd probably find yourself wanting to do something big and being a little patient in a spot like that uh, is a little tougher. You mentioned you'd spoke to David Schneider about it, Caitlin, and I wanted to bring up David Schneider at some point anyway because you wrote a terrific piece on him uh, at The Athletic earlier this week. Blue Jays rookie David Schneider relishing the moment during postseason push. I, I kind of saw you talking to him in, in the dugout when the, the team was last here for that story. Um, where is David Schneider at right now mentally with, yeah, the team's doing well, but he's in this 0 for 23 skid and... You know, he didn't play yesterday. I, I know this was part of the story you wrote, but, um, you know, where where is he at mentally as his performance cools, but the team kind of gets hot? Yeah, well, I mean, talking to him, he's just happy to kind of contribute as best he can. And he, like all the guys on the team, are just kind of focused on winning right now. I mean, you know, talking to him earlier about, at the time, all the sort of personal accolades that he had had over his first 25 games and, you know, your highest OPS in MLB history and all this different stuff. And sure, that was, you know, impacting him. And I think he was happy with it. And his family was happy with it. And it's something to celebrate. But he said to me, he doesn't necessarily care if he goes 0 for 4 and the team wins. And, you know, that's kind of the attitude that I think most guys have. It's how team guys operate. You know, you're, you sure want to contribute. You do want to do well, of course, because when you do well, it helps the team. But, Ultimately, in baseball, you're going to have some stretches where you're just not getting the hits, you're just not having luck or whatever, you're just not seeing the ball well, and you're going to have some over stretches. And as long as the team is winning and you feel like you can contribute in different ways, and if you're not playing, then, you know, the Blue Jays have talked about just being the best cheerleader you can be. And, um, you know, I know like a guy like Danny Jansen, who's not in the lineup right now, um, and he's obviously with the, um, the finger injury, but he he talks about being the best cheerleader he can be. And so that's the thing that you can do at this time of year. If you're not playing every day, like you're just sporting the guys and hoping they win and being ready. Um, you know, if David Schneider had to go pinch it uh, in, a, in a late game situation or whatever, I'm sure he would be ready. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just a learning experience. I think that Davis has guys to lean on and, you know, he's been around and he looks 
as normal as ever. You know, I think his family's here this weekend, mm. uh, or this week, I should say, in, in New York watching him. So hopefully he gets in a game today. Um, you know, Garrett Cole's a tough assignment, but we'll see. Yeah, Garrett Cole, not not exactly the type of guy David Schneider has had a, a ton of success against just yet as a guy who, you know, averages 97 on, on the fastball and will work it up in the zone a lot, but someone's got to be in there. A lot of guys don't do well against Garrett Cole types. That's why he's going to maybe win the Cy Young. Um, so yeah, some optimism that Caitlin, you mentioned Danny Jansen um, refresh me on the timing. Was he back around the team yesterday? I know he was going, he was revisiting the specialists at some point this week. Yeah, he was not there pregame. Okay. He had not arrived pregame. So they didn't have an update on him, but then I did see him after the game. So he obviously arrived like, whether it was during the game or right before it started, he was around after the game. So I imagine okay. we'll get an update today pregame about timing for him. He, he, I did see him really briefly. It looked to be like he had the sort of larger cast off uh, his hand, which I think was the plan. Anyway, he was going to go see the specialist and he was going to get the big kind of cast thing off. And then they were going to have a better timeline on him. Um, on the catcher side, how excited are you for me to probably write about Jamie Ritchie, even though he's never going to get into a game? <laughs> Yeah, I'm excited for the article on the uh, taxi squad uh, prep of the catcher. That's uh, that's what I do, Caitlin. Um, on the injury front, uh, just while we're on it, um, is Brandon Belt with the team in New York, or is he back here uh, hitting and working on things? He's with the team. He okay. was continuing hitting progression yesterday. I talked to him just really quickly. I saw him sitting on the couch, and yeah, he was doing his hitting in the cages again yesterday. And I think he's eligible to come back on Friday would be 10 days. He sounded not quite sure that that would be a possibility, but hopeful for next week, like the final week of the season, potentially when the Jays are back home. Yeah. And a uh, possibility to get him a rehab stint on the weekend with Buffalo closing out their season at home. But uh, yeah, I don't know if Brandon belt will, uh, will want or need a, a rehab assignment um, there. Okay. So Caitlin from last night's game, um, there is also the, the pitching side of it where the Jays completely stifled the Yankees offense again. And, and Kevin Gosman, again, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but kind of said after the game, well, yeah, once the Jays had runs on the board, why would you pitch to Aaron judge and Glaber Torres? Why wouldn't you just, uh, you know, be careful with those guys. So when we look at the stat line, maybe three walks stands out to someone because Gosman doesn't walk three guys all that often. But when you hear that quote, when you see the 10 strikeouts, when you see how effective he was against the rest of the Yankees lineup, do you like, you like that strategy from Gosman? I know we're not going to see it. We're not going to see an offense like that in the playoffs. So maybe not playoff applicable, but the game plan, the strategy and execution side of that. Are you a fan of, the, of that approach from Gosman? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's experienced. He's played a lot of years in the major leagues, and he kind of knows his stuff really well, and he knows who he's facing, and it makes sense because I've watched a lot of games where Aaron Judge has beat the Blue Jays single-handedly alone. Honestly, he did it earlier this season. Maybe this time last year with a historic ball flying into left field. Who knows? <laughs> exactly. So it's been a lot of Aaron Judge versus Blue Jays over the last two seasons. Um, and, you know, with the Yankees, their uh, lineup is very uh, different than it's been in even compared to earlier this season, compared to last year when they were a playoff team. There's a lot of young guys in the Yankees lineup, guys just getting playing time and experience now that the Yankees are sort of looking ahead to next year and beyond with this season sort of they're, they're out of it by now. So, yeah, I, I like that strategy for Gosman because, you know, he's, he's got the upper hand in a lot of those matchups, just the experience that he has and 
and those guys still getting their feet wet a little bit. So, yeah, why would you, you know, serve one up to Aaron Judge who can make you pay? And I think I wrote in my article, it's like you're at Yankee Stadium and you're always sort of one pitch away from a Yankee Stadium special where the game is tied. And the Yankees know how to hit those because, you know, they play a lot of games here. So I think that, yeah, that's a good strategy for Gosman. And I think that his start overall was like a little slow to start. And then every inning he kept getting better. And, you know, by the last three innings, he was kind of his more efficient self. After kind of grinding a little bit in the first three innings, I think his pitch count was getting up there a little bit. But he managed to be efficient, so he was still able to go sort of six strong. Yeah, the Yankee Stadium special, sneak it down the right field line there. Uh, Austin Wells, hey, at least he hit his uh, a mile to steal one there um, in garbage time off Eric Swanson. Uh, Caitlin, before I let you go, the you have been at the lead of the <laughs> sleepy Yusei Kikuchi front. I, I'm like I'm in the studio and MLB Network's on one of the television screens. There they just flashed up your tweet about Kikuchi. Like they're talking about Kikuchi sleep now. Look, I know he can be be a bit of a dry humor or like even a bit of a smart ass at times. Um, how much of this is like legitimately he gets 14 hours of sleep? How much of this is like he's doing a bit of a bit here and exaggerating? I think he gets 14 hours of sleep on his start day. It's insane to me. I I can't fathom how that works. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think his explanations were too detailed to not be true. I mean, like, we questioned him a few times in the scrum, and we kept saying, like, okay, are you, like, kidding here? Or, like, are we missing (laughs) something? Are we, like, is there something being lost in translation where, like, we're not getting the nuance? And he was, like, in English, he was, like, no, serious seriously guys and we're like okay and I know he's talked to a few people about it and offered more detail and um yeah and I guess talking to like Wit yesterday and some of the other teammates like everybody knew I guess that Kikuchi sleeps all the time I guess he's always asleep in the clubhouse and and Wit was saying that a lot of times like Kikuchi will do a lot of different um, mental relaxation techniques and meditation techniques, and oftentimes he'll just fall asleep during that. And like <laughs> Kikuchi said, like he can fall asleep like when music is blaring um, at the back of the plane. If there's music happening, he can still sleep through it. So yeah, he just is an easy sleeper, I guess. And I think yeah, the the other story here is. Thank you to Yusei Kikuchi's wife, who who wakes up and takes care of their young son in the morning when Kikuchi still needs to sleep until 1 p.m. apparently on his start days. Yeah, like it sounds like almost he's keeping uh, like toddler sleep hours more than more (laughs) than their kid is. Um, Good for him, I guess. I'd imagine obviously Yusei Kikuchi didn't do the minor league grind here in the in the U.S. and Canada, but like the ability to fall asleep in noise and nonsense has to be like if you're if you're a minor leaguer, that's got to be like the best skill you can have when you're uh, you're shuttling city to city and things like that. Caitlin, uh, I don't know about you. I can't remember a time I've ever slept that much. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've had some, like, crazy, like, travel days where I've, like, had to wake up at, like, 3 a.m. to catch an early flight, and then I've, like, worked a night game, and that night game has gone long. So I've gone, like, times where I've, like, been up for, like, 22 hours straight, and been working. And so after those days, I think I could probably sleep for 14 hours. I don't know that I actually do, but yeah, I think that probably like teen Caitlin maybe got 14 hours once <laughs> or twice, but I don't think that adult Caitlin has 
very much lately. Yeah, the work grind's a good point. I think the only time, I'm a bad sleeper generally, but the only time I've ever been able to fall asleep on a plane was the flight back after the Raptors won the championship um, where like I had written four stories and did not sleep all through the night. And then I was just like, you know what? I can finally do it. I can finally get an hour of sleep uh, on the plane. Caitlin, are you off to Tampa after New York too? Are you coming back here? I'm going to Tampa. Wow. What a, what a whiplash in city and stadium from <laughs> New York to Tampa Bay. Uh, anything planned in New York before game time today? No, hopefully yesterday was my big do anything. I, I went for a run in Central Park, which uh-huh. was, uh, yeah, that was nice. So today might just be a, a kind of walk around the city a little bit before the game. And then we're off to Tampa tomorrow pretty early. I will not get a Kikuchi length uh, sleep tonight because my, my flight is really early and it's a night game. So uh, I might be having to sleep on the plane tomorrow. Now I'm thinking of scenarios where, like, you say Kikuchi is actually, like, getting his own flight to the next city early so that he like, Hey, I'm going to miss today's game guys and fly during the day so I can get my 14 hours. And obviously tomorrow's not a start day and I'm being tongue in cheek here, but it is funny to imagine. Uh, Kayla McGrath. Thanks for taking the time out this morning. Hope you enjoy your last day in New York. Of course. Thank you for having me. Kayla McGrath of the athletic. Uh, again, Go, make sure you go over there and check out the piece on Davis Schneider from earlier in the week. Uh, a right, a good piece off of last night's game as well. Some important contextual and kind of attitude quotes from the Blue Jays within that piece over the uh, over at the uh, Athletic. She had also at the start of the week sized up the Jays, Rangers, and Mariners weeks ahead. Well, not a whole lot of change there. Things stand as they stand with the Jays uh, a game up on both Texas and Seattle. As a reminder, 91 wins is the clinch cutoff right now because only two of Seattle, Texas, and Houston can get to 91 wins because of how much they play each other down the stretch here. So if you're the Blue Jays, you're looking at six wins and you're in at this point. And again, of course, if you win fewer than six games, there are still a lot of paths to you getting in with other teams losing. You just need a little more help that way and you're doing a little bit more scoreboard watching. You will try to get the next... Of those six wins tonight, Garrett Cole against Jose Barrios, 7 o'clock at Yankee Stadium. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will get the national view of this wild card race. We'll take a look at the NL uh, wild card race and this historic Atlanta Braves team as well. David Schoenfield of ESPN joins us next as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jays win again last night, six to one. So five in a row for just the second time all year. Back at the end of August, we had David Schoenfield of ESPN on, and he had written this great piece at ESPN looking at all the contenders or would-be contenders and what they needed to do between that point in time and the end of the race here, not just to make the playoffs, but to give them some confidence they can make some noise in the playoffs. Now, when David and I talked it was a lot about the Jays offense getting clicking. That hasn't quite happened, but the Jays have still managed to win enough games to be in a playoff spot here, be in control of their destiny, heading into these final 10 games in a very competitive AL wildcard slash AL West race. Uh, David Schoenfield, senior MLB writer of ESPN joins us again today to take a look at those races. David, good morning. How are you, man? 
Good morning. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Uh, so when we, we talked to you about, not even a month ago, but you had that ESPN piece of, hey, what every contender, would-be contender needs to do to kind of find their groove uh, ahead of the playoffs and make the playoffs, first of all. And the thing we kicked around with the Blue Jays was, well, you need to see this offense click at some point. And some of the numbers with runners in scoring position have normalized a little bit, but they're still not hitting for a ton of power, still not putting up big offensive numbers. But they're winning enough to get back in a wild card spot. When we had that conversation, David, they were two and a half games out. They're a game up now on Texas and Seattle. Are you surprised at all that the Jays have been able to get this done and make up some ground in that race without the offense truly clicking and coalescing here? Yeah, a little bit. Obviously, the starting pitching, you know, the Mets series against the Rangers has been pretty <laughs> solid, pretty, pretty consistent all year. And, I guess in the end, that still wins baseball games, you know, just like uh, has been the case for 150 years. Um, yeah, I think if I look at that wild card race, the surprising thing to me is the Astros, who are barely hanging on to that lead in the AL West right now. But, man, it just feels like they're kind of just sleepwalking through this regular season, and they're in jeopardy of not making making the postseason at all. Yeah, they're an interesting one, and, you know, they're – I think on paper, I, I certainly think they're they're the best team in the AL West. And I, you know, coin flip between them and Tampa as the team I feel most confident in the playoffs. But yeah, they just haven't gone on that, you know, real, real run to they're They're kind of like the Jays in that they've at no point in the season seemed like the best team in baseball, but they keep winning right. just enough to be in there. Now, if we look at the, the AL West side of this wild card race, you know, Houston also has the benefit here of Texas and Seattle play each other seven times over these last 10. And I think Houston has uh, three against Seattle as well. And the rest of theirs are against Kansas city and Arizona. So when you look at how this, might shake out are, are you kind of of the mind only one or texas one of texas or seattle will get in here just by way of they play each other so much here yeah that's how i would look at it i know toronto you know look six games against tampa bay isn't a cakewalk either but yeah look there's two scenarios right one of seattle or texas beats up on the other and eliminates you know one of those two teams or if they split you know, that certainly means Toronto basically only has to go 500 in their, you know, last, what they have 10, uh, 13 games left, 10 games, I guess, you know, Houston, you know, same thing. They only have to basically go 500 in their final nine. Um, So yeah, that seems to be the scenario. I guess I would say, yeah, all Toronto has to do is avoid, you know, a collapse here, (laughs) you know, and again, you know, Yankees, you know, the last two games, they just don't hit. We know that. So you got to feel pretty good about those four games against the Yankees, Tampa Bay, you know, that last series if Tampa Bay is already, you know, locked into that first wild card spot, you know, who are they going to play now? If Tampa Bay still fighting for the division, those last three games, then they're going to be rolling out everybody. Right. So that, series could be tougher or easier depending on Tampa Bay situation. So when it comes to um, those AOS teams, the way I set that up, would you agree with my assessment that even though the Astros are only a, a game up there and they haven't looked yeah. that great, like like on paper, they are still the best of those three AOS teams? Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah, look, it's uh, you're going to bet against Houston <laughs> for what they've done since 2017? No, you know, but Look, their starting pitching has not been there all year, at least on a consistent basis. You know, 
Uh, injuries have played into a factor. Framber Valdez at times looks like the best pitcher in the league. And then he goes through these spurts where he's not effective. Verlander has been pretty good since he came over. Christian Javier, if we remember, was lights out last October. Um, and most of the regular season has not been as good. Um, the bullpen, not as dominant, not as deep as last year. Ryan Presley has been struggling a little bit of, uh, of late in the closing role. Um, but again, you look at that offense with Alvarez and Tucker and Bregman and uh, Chaz McCormick's had a big year. Yeah, I like your take about who at any point this year has looked like the best team in the AL. Certainly the first two months, Tampa Bay, Baltimore's been consistent, you know, and I'm with you. Toronto has never looked like the best team. Um, even Seattle, when they had that stretch through August and into early September, it looked like the best team with their great pitching does that matter? I don't know. I think you just get in. You just got to get in, right? And we've seen it. Get in, anything can happen. Yeah, get in and anything can happen. Okay, so let's let's focus back on the on the Jays here and their chances of getting in. Uh, we mentioned that you know the bats haven't really come around, but the the pitching has been uh, so good for them. In, in fact, not only good but very reliable. The Jays yesterday became the first team since 2019 to have four starters go 30 plus starts in a season. We just don't see that uh, very often anymore when, when you look ahead to if the Jays get in what how that shapes them up for a playoff series obviously in a wild card series you're not using all four of those guys Hyunjin Ryu who is uh, not one of those four guys is also around somewhere um, what do you make of how the Jays starting pitching and just how reliable and deep that rotation's been how that translates to a playoff environment yeah, I haven't seen the stat. I mean, look, you got to think that's a good sign, you know, that if you've been healthy all year, hopefully that means you're healthy heading into the postseason. Um, and that's the most underrated aspect of baseball today, keeping your starting pitchers healthy. If they're healthy, you don't even have to be great, you know, because other teams are running out their seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh starters. You know, so if you're rolling out the same five or six guys, odds are you're going to make – the playoffs um yeah you know it's, it's not anything i've ever studied are teams that have a more stable rotation more likely to perform well in the playoffs i i don't know um to me the optimistic sign here is you know kevin gossman with a good start last night eight innings a couple starts ago i know that was against the royals but obviously a guy who has a little history of fading in the second half it seems like he is performing a little better this year than, than sort of his, his, his historical standards down the stretch. Yeah, that's uh, it's certainly something on, on the radar here. Uh, so another team that has a, a similar depth to their rotation, certainly not a, as high end, but the, the Orioles are facing a similar question of, Hey, you've had six, maybe even seven at times, good starters this year, so, uh, solid starters, at least. What does that look like in a playoff series? But the most important thing for Baltimore this year was to get to the dance. And you wrote a great piece at ESPN when they clinched a playoff spot last week. Um, how big is it for that team and that, and that franchise? And I think about Obviously, they have some veterans sprinkled in there, but that yeah, that young core to have locked this up to maybe even get a buy through the first round as a sort of hey, we're here, we're not the young upstart anymore, we're in the mix. Um, how how big is that for that group? How optimistic in, in writing that piece are you about the the near and long term future of this Orioles club? Yeah, look, no doubt, you know what a story. What they 
lose 110 games two years ago to, to go from that to probably winning 100. That is just an unbelievable turnaround in two-year span. Um, I think the one thing we overlook is they have some guy. look, it's easy to focus on Abby Rushman and Gunnar Henderson, certainly two guys are going to be in the MVP conversation for years to come, but they have guys like Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes and Anthony Santander who've been there for, you know, four or five, even six years, maybe for a guy like Mullins, you know, so they went through those awful, awful seasons. So it's great that those guys have remained good, productive, valuable, valuable members of the team, you know, so there is some veteran leadership there, maybe not necessarily, guys who have been used to winning but you know it's not all just first and second year players but yeah look there's no doubt this team is going to be here for a long time I mean you know everybody regards them as having the best farm system in baseball Jackson Holiday, he's already in AAA at 19 he's the best prospect in baseball he's going to be up next year they're going to have to certainly add some some rotation depth and that you know like if we're going to pick them pick against them in the playoffs you're looking at yeah that rotation right Kyle Bradish really good the rookie Grayson Rodriguez been excellent in the second half and then after that you're like who's your number three starter Kyle Kyle Gibson you know he isn't scary yeah yeah and or you know hey John Means who's two starts back from Tommy John surgery right. like that that's what you're you're looking at there um so if you are obviously nobody can pick where this race is too close for anyone <laughs> to tank for the third wild card or anything like that but if you are one of these wild card teams when you look at hey you're going to draw one of Rays, Orioles, or Twins as that kind of division winner yeah. or last division winner or first wildcard team. Um, is there a team from those three that if you're Jays, Rangers, um, Mariners, that you're kind of crossing your fingers you hope to get? Or, or are they all, you know, balanced enough that, hey, just you, you can't think like that? Yeah, uh, no, you can't think like that. But yes, to me, on paper, there's a clear advantage to being the third wild card as opposed to four or five. Yeah, I guess if you're the fourth team, you get a host that wild card series. But, you know, Toronto fans know what that means, not a lot. But yeah, I'd certainly, right? You got to agree. I'd rather go through the Twins. And then the AL West champion rather than, than Baltimore in the, in the you know, best of five series. So, yeah, it's kind of a quirk of just the AL Central winner being so weak. Hey, plus the Twins, let's face it, they've lost 18 playoff games in a row. And I know what happened in 2006. Doesn't matter for 2023, but there's that cloud. And those players on that team know the history. So there's a lot of sort of pressure on them heading in the playoffs just to win a game. Yeah, they're a, they're a fascinating playoff opponent because I think you'd take Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray as the top two in yeah. just about any playoff series. And then after that, or, or if you look on the offensive side, it gets a little uh, dicier. David, I want to swing to, to the National League. And you wrote a piece at ESPN the other day kind of sizing up this NL wildcard race that is even crazier and, and more <laughs> condensed than the American league one. So for anyone who hasn't been paying attention, Philly is pretty secure in the top wildcard spot, but Arizona, the Cubs, Miami, Cincinnati, San Fran, and even San Diego is still technically alive for those two final spots. And, and um, only six games separating those six teams again for two spots. Uh, what do you make uh, of that mess right now? 
Don't ask me to predict what's going to no, happen. No, I'm not going to ask you to predict. I just, just, we're just kind of gawking yeah. at it here. Yeah, it's fun. You know, unfortunately, now Arizona just played uh, the Giants and beat them twice, which I think that pretty much knocks out the Giants. But there's no head-to-head uh, series remaining against these wild, uh, among these wildcard teams, so a wow. lot of scoreboard watching. Uh, look, every time you want to bet on one of these teams, like the Cubs, the Cubs – they go against Arizona last week and Arizona sweeps them. Cubs come out on Tuesday and they win 14 to one or whatever. And they have their Cy Young contender, Justin Steele going yesterday against Pittsburgh. So, okay. They're back. Then Justin Steele gets blown out. They lose to the pirates. So it's crazy. I mean, if you got a handicap, you would just go with the teams that are already in a playoff position, which is yeah, Philly, Chicago and Arizona. Cincinnati, they're certainly a fun team. I'd love to see them make it with all those rookies. Um, but their rotation is just not. Hunter Green had a great game yesterday, 14 mm-hmm. strikeouts, but then the bullpen blew it. Their rotation, even as they've, as they've played okay in September, I think they have the third worst ERA in baseball in September. So I just don't see how they're going to do it. And, I think mean, the Giants are too far back. And the Padres, well, I guess if they win every game the rest of the way, maybe they have a shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, they're trying. They won seven in a row here. Um, so elsewhere yeah. in the NL, you, you also wrote this great piece about uh, the Braves, and the, the tease on it was greatest offense ever. And, you know, you kind of went inside this team that is so deep and everyone can hit for power and their starters never take a day off. Like the bench is the most unused bench in baseball. When you yeah. look at the NL, look, I, I think we can uh, say that the teams in the American League wildcard mix are better than the teams in the National League wildcard mix. And then in addition, the teams at the top of the NL are stronger. So like the, the NL wildcard race, as fun as it is, feels less consequential. Um, when you look at the National League side of things, it's Braves number one. I, I'd imagine Dodgers either two or even one B. Do you see any of these teams being able to close the gap or Atlanta and, and the Dodgers too far ahead uh, of the rest of the field? Yeah, again, on paper, that's the way it looks. I'd point out a couple things. One, the Atlanta bullpen has not been good in September. In fact, I think they might have the worst bullpen ERA in baseball in September. So that's suddenly an issue for them to work out, although we might remember two years ago when they won the World Series, their bullpen really hadn't been that good all year and then was just lights out in the playoffs. Will Smith had a perfect October, didn't allow a run. Um, he's not there anymore. He's getting lit up in Texas. But, yeah, bullpens, you never know, but that's certainly a real issue. And the Phillies, look, they're going to get in. We saw what they did last year. Remember, last year the NL had the Dodgers, who won 111 games, set an all-time NL record for wins. The Braves and the Mets won 101. And who made the World Series? The Phillies. Hmm. I could. It wouldn't shock me to see the Phillies do it again. You know, their offense – it really hasn't clicked all year, you know, whether it's been Trey Turner starting off slow, Bryce Harper being injured, Kyle Schwarber, who, by the way, is going to score 100 runs and drive in 100 while hitting under 200. There's <laughs> um, <laughs> never been a season like that. He can go on these unbelievable tears and carry a team. So, And then the Brewers, hey, look, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta, those are three guys that can throw up a lot of zeros if they're on. Um, but it's hard to pick against the Braves. 
Yeah, it's tough. I mean, there's just so much depth there. It's funny. You mentioned the Kyle Schwarber stat. I was looking at that too. And like, what, wouldn't it like, obviously he would love to finish the season above 200 and ruin that stat, but he's at like 197 <laughs> here. That's That one's going to come down to the wire here. No, it is. Yeah, it, it is. But even then I was looking, I got a piece coming out tomorrow on him and Max Muncy, who's having a similar year hitting 210. Um, they're both going to go one, two all time in most RBIs with a low hundred RBIs with a low batting average, right? Nobody's ever hit two ten and driven in a hundred runs. They're both probably going to do it. Um, yeah, I'm sure he would like to, to get hot here and maybe he'll, maybe he'll drop down a few bunts or something to, to get to 200. So I'm going to put you on the spot here, but obviously uh, Kyle Schwarber <laughs> and Max Muncy with their batting averages, the way they are. Some of that is strikeouts. They, they both strike out a bunch, but they also have terrible batting average on balls in play because they hit mostly fly balls and Schwarber's very slow. Only one qualified hitter has a worse batting average on balls in play than those two. Do you know who it is? Uh, it might be Pete Alonzo. It is Pete I Alonzo. <laughs> I only know that I was watching the Mets game last night and ah. they, were, they were talking about his low, his low bad bit. Yeah. All three similar types of players, right? You know, hey, that's the modern game. Those three guys are the epitome of three true outcomes, you know, walks, strikeouts, and home runs. And, look, Kyle Schwarber has 100-plus walks. And you can in the end, he's had a pretty good offensive year. And I know it's hard for us to look at that batting average and, and think he's been a good player, but he's been a pretty – on offense, don't don't have about <laughs> defense, but but yeah, he's a good productive player. Yeah, and all three of those guys with the criminally low BABIPs are also top ten in home runs. So uh, obviously, some yeah. correlation there between the strikeout and fly ball profiles. Uh, this is going to be fun to watch. Only two of those guys will be in the playoff mix, and of course, none of them are catching Matt Olson and the Braves for the uh, <laughs> the home run lead, the RBI lead. Um, he's not going to lead the league in runs, but he's close to that as well. Uh, but his teammate Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to run with that. So that Braves team's a lot of fun uh david really enjoyed your piece on that braves team by the way uh, and thanks for taking the time out this morning hey thanks for the invite appreciate it david schoenfield senior mlb writer at espn some fun stuff up there on this braves team some fun stuff on the orioles if you can get past the fact that you know they went 10 and 3 against the jays this year and are a potential uh playoff opponent here and uh you know, first round, second round, third round, whatever, uh, however long you go, it becomes likelier and likelier, but it's possible the Orioles fall to uh, the top wild card spot. They're two and a half up on the Rays here. So they're feeling pretty good. And the Jays have six against the Rays, but uh, you know, it's not, it's not locked in yet. So we'll keep an eye on that race in addition to the wild card and AL West races. And uh, David said it there. Not only does wild card three get you the twins instead of whichever of the Rays or Orioles uh, lose that division race, it also gets you into the side of the bracket with the AL West winner instead of the AL East winner. Now, I personally don't see, as long as it's the Astros that win the AL West, I don't see quite as big of a, a impact there because I still think the Astros are, are really good and they're going to find it for the playoffs here. Um, at least on paper, they're, they're very good. Uh, but yeah, big couple games here. And certainly as soon as the Jays get comfortable in a playoff spot, I would bet the text line will be filled with, well, could you tank to get the third wild card spot or could you not start this guy, et cetera. Um, a lot of that will depend on what the Rays are doing and, and how much that final series matters to them as well. For right now, though, uh, the Jays got to win six more and they're in 
again, if they win fewer than that, there's, there are still scenarios where they get in, even some likely scenarios. But six is the number to keep in mind. They'll try to keep it going with a sixth win in a row tonight against Garrett Cole. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Arden Zwelling will join us in studio for the second hour. We'll take a look at some of what's happened in this series, tee up tonight's game, and uh, we'll learn about Cam Eden. I mentioned him enough times on the show over the course of the second half of the season that someone in the text line told me to shut up about Cam Eden. Well, he's a Toronto Blue Jay now, uh, and he is potentially a pinch run specialist for the playoffs. Uh, Arden Zwelling joins us next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. New track there from Arkells. Uh, I was walking down Ossington yesterday, going to do my laundry in the laundromat, and hey, they're playing in there. Uh, so why not pop in and check them out? Um, obviously, any Toronto sports fan is very familiar with them at this point. Uh, they have a new album out today, and it's a bit of a new sound for them. So check that out. Um, Arden's Welling. Joins us in studio now. Not not a big music guy, so we we won't stay on that topic with him. But how you doing, man? I am a big errands guy, though. So okay. If you want to talk about errands, doing laundry and things like that. Love a day of like dumb little tasks. Yeah. You know Have you had one of those this week? Yeah, I've had several of them, and it's wicked to yeah. like go and do things that are very uh, like just. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Trivial, I yeah. guess. You know, monotonous, yeah. but to accomplish them. And to have a list and to write oh. them on your list and then cross them off of your list. Yeah. Particularly this time of year where like the weather is capital P perfect. I was looking at my phone like yesterday. I took 25,000 steps. Like, because wow. I was just outside yeah. all day just long. Just doing stuff. Not even realizing it because it's such a good time to be outside. So if you're out there doing laundry, going to shows, that's a good, I can relate to I got two concerts in yesterday and the Jays game. Is. Yeah. Have my show. Couple concerts, Jays game. It's mundane. That's the word I was looking for. Like a nice mundane day yeah. where it's like, yeah, I've got, you know, three or four very mundane things to accomplish. And then you accomplish them. That feels good, man. Yeah, it does feel good. And you get very few days off. You you have, you've had as few days off this year as Vlad, basically, uh, <laughs> when it comes to getting the odd uh, off day or down day. Uh, let's start there with, with the Jays. So Vlad gets scratched yesterday. I know you're not on the road. So um, you're reading what we're reading on, on Twitter and hearing what we're hearing on the broadcast, but when you hear that, hey, the same knee thing that's been balky for for Vlad tw- two other times earlier this year, and now it's uncomfortable enough that they scratch him for the lineup and he went for an MRI, uh, where is your concern level with, with a piece of news like that? Yeah, it's it's concerning because Vlad posts so frequently, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, and we're t- going back years and years. Fourth most, tied for the second most games played since the start of 2020 and fourth most played appearances. Yeah, I'd put him up there with like the Simeons, Probably what, like Olsen's probably up there. And one other one. Bo? Well, Freddie no, Freeman. Because Bo had the IL stints yeah. this year. Bo was up there for plate appearances. He was even Dropped higher than off. Vlad because he doesn't miss time and he had hit yeah. a little more higher in the order. But Freddie Freeman's the other one. And to me, the Bo and Simeon is a bit of a higher degree of difficulty oh, yeah. because of the position. Middle infield, yeah. That they play. It's a bit easier for an Olsen, a Freeman, and Vlad. Not that any of it's easy, but. Like, we don't give Vlad those props of being a guy who has posted as consistently as anyone in this game. And that means playing through discomfort. That means playing when your knee's banged up, when your wrist is banged up, when you're not feeling your best. 
and going out and playing. So for this to get to a point 30 minutes before game time where Vlad is saying, I can't go, that's problematic and troublesome. And so he'll go for this MRI. I imagine it's going to return a great deal of inflammation. Mm. What you're hoping it doesn't return is some sort of structural concern. Uh, so the really like best case scenario is, yeah, there's inflammation in there, which is to be expected. Nothing structural. We're going to DH him for a few days and hopefully get him back to that compromised place at which he was already playing. Yeah, and like you got another off day Monday. You can maybe get him some DH time. It doesn't sound like Brandon Belt's return is imminent, but I think you're comfortable with Kevin Biggio and Spencer Horwitz playing first base if you need to. But you're right. I, I had the same kind of flags come up for me in that like no it doesn't sound like he tore his ACL or anything like that but this guy this is only the eighth game he's missed in the last four seasons it's yeah. uh it's pretty remarkable um there's also this element of and I don't know how you feel about how the team would maybe manage this I, I was kind of going back and forth I was like okay well maybe it's not that big a deal because they're so close to the playoffs and they're being cautious and you got to make sure he's right in two weeks but then I was also like well all these games really matter and like getting one against Michael King is probably a more reasonable task than getting the one against Garrett Cole and you need x number of wins down the stretch so maybe that's a spot where you'd ask Vlad to push it and give him an off day today does that just come out in the wash for you those two kind of competing thoughts this late in the year the urgency versus the caution I think the Blue Jays have put themselves in a position right now where they can be a bit more cautious with something like this because realistically, they play 500 the rest of the way they'll be in. Yeah, um, Six so. clinches it and five is like something like 95 plus percent chance yeah. they get in. So taking those first two games against the Yankees was huge. Like entering this 12-game stretch, I figured the reasonable target was seven and five, four and two against the Yankees, three and three against the Rays. That's what I thought was was doable. And so, look, like, yeah, if you lose today against Garrett Cole, there's no shame in that. It's Garrett Cole. And then you lose, I mean, you get Garrett Cole once again next week, the way things look like they'll line up. You've already banked two wins in the series. You've already got the series win under your belt. You're feeling pretty good. What you want, you want Vlad to be feeling as good as possible. And look, he's always going to be compromised for the rest of the year. Remember that. But as good as possible for the wildcard series, like for October 3rd to 5th, whatever yeah. those days are. So, I think that becomes the priority right now. If you lose your next four and like Texas and Seattle and Houston are all winning, okay, that calculus changes. But I think the Blue Jays put themselves in a good enough position where you don't take your foot all the way off the gas, but you just, you can ease off just a grade just to, you know, let Vlad get past anything that's barking substantially right now. And I think that that holds true for the, for a lot of reasons, for a lot of things, right? Like if you want to get Bo a DH or an off day, just as a, a load management thing, if you want to, I mean, it sounds like Kikuchi's going to pitch Sunday fine, but say he wasn't, uh, you don't need to, juggle the rotation to get Kevin Gosman in there on regular yeah, rest. You yeah. could just bullpen day it. And that's why, you know, I felt a this two week stretch here. Yeah. There's a little bit of urgency on the front end of it because the more you take care of now, the more next week you can look ahead to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the following week, especially since let's be honest, you, there's no benefit to getting to the second wildcard spot versus the third wildcard spot. You're in, you're in. And then there's, arguably the third wildcard spots more favorable. <laughs> yeah. By like percentage points, yeah. right. By an amount that doesn't make any sense getting cute. And yeah. Thinking about, oh, yeah, you know. you're, you're tanking to get Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray <laughs> in a potential two game series. I, I don't know if I want a, a piece of that either, but yeah, 100%. slightly better. I think the goal right now has to be make game 162 irrelevant. Yes. So you, oh. because Gosman lines up for 162 right now, you'd much prefer that to be wildcard game one. 
ideally 161 as well. That might not be as realistic. We'll see how the other teams play. But mm-hmm. make 162 irrelevant so that on that Sunday, you're starting Bowden Francis and here comes Nate Pearson and Jay Jackson and whoever else out of your bullpen. And yeah. you're, you're playing Spencer Horowitz for nine innings mm-hmm. and Davis Schneider and you're resting guys. Cam Eden. Let's go. Sure, man. Yeah, nine innings in center field. Why not, right? Like, And you're lining up Gosman, Brios, Bassett for the wild card series, and you are making things as optimal as possible and getting guys rest before – because remember, you're going to be traveling no matter what Mm -hmm. for that wild card series. So there is going to be a travel day in there, and there is going to be, you know, the fatigue that comes with that. So I think that that's that's got to be the goal right now, make 162 irrelevant. You said Gosman, Brios, Bassett. Are you of the mind that that's – what they do, or I look at if they get the twins, say that's a lefty heavy lineup. Do you maybe go Kikuchi in the Bassett spot or or is that kind of wait and see for you? It's a conversation you have to have. And part of like the variables there will be recent form and just health. So with Kikuchi, obviously there is a question mark there. He's too sleepy. And (laughs) I'm not at a place where I'm putting Hunjin Ryu into a wildcard rotation regardless of opponent, regardless of anything. Full Mm -hmm. credit to him for what he's doing right now, but I'm just not at that place right now. I just think that you have four better options. So you could, like, look at some different um, variables and some different considerations if you want to get cute and say, well, all right, Gosman throws in the first game, and if he wins the first game, maybe we save the guy who we really like for game three because we know we're guaranteed to have that as a fallback anyway. And if not, it's ALDS one. Exactly. So yeah. you can look at that and you can look at opponent and I guarantee you the Blue Jays will consider <laughs> all yeah. of those things. There's also the element too of like you you probably don't want to do this too much because he's been so good and you want him if you make the DS, you want him starting games. But if you do go with Bassett as the third starter in a wild card series, Maybe Kikuchi's available out of the bullpen for a lefty chunk of the order for one inning or six outs if a starter gets chased or whatever. Whereas I don't think Bassett, for example, has utility out of the bullpen for you, right? And I think that there's also something to be said for just tell the guys when they're pitching. Let's (laughs) let them know when to what to expect. These guys have posted all year. The Blue Jays have four starters with over 30 starts. First time any team's done that since 2019. It's wild. Like we don't make enough of a deal of it. This is one of the best Blue Jays rotations in franchise history. Staff overall too, right? right? Like the bullpen's been phenomenal. Like they're going to finish top five in starter ERA and bullpen ERA. I think second in overall ERA. Like, I don't know, man. I love those Halliday Burnett years. And I'm sure back in the 90s and 80s, there were some good rotations. But man, hard to hard to think of a, a deeper pitching staff that we've watched. But those years, you didn't have a three and a four right. behind those guys who were throwing 190 innings at like a three and a half ERA. Yeah, like Gustavo that. Chassin was was not uh, <laughs> posting like that. <laughs> this is ridiculous. They've used the fewest starters in MLB. They've only mm-hmm. used seven, which is wild. Like, it's just, it's absolutely exceptional and rare and probably unrepeatable going forward. So I think that there is something to be said for like, all right, just tell let Kevin Gosman know he's starting on Tuesday. Let Barrios know he's starting on Wednesday. And Bassett know he's starting either Thursday or game one of DS. And then those guys can prepare in the way that they need to for those starts knowing that. Yeah, and whoever's lined up for game three, it's like, oh, shucks, you have to change your your plan and, and your week schedule because we made the ALDS. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you deal with that when you get there. Um, You mentioned, you know, that game 162, potentially it's, you know, hey, Francis and Pearson and Jackson and, and a couple of those guys are optioned right now. Obviously, you can always do the IL thing to get a guy back up. Um, When it comes to game 162, you're fully on the board with like, the nonsense of like your your roster's technically bigger because once the wild card starts, you can put guys back on your roster, right? Yeah, totally. 
totally. It's nonsense mode. I think that you, yeah, you utilize every, uh, you know, lever that you can pull. Yeah. And yeah, you put yourself in the best possible position. Yeah. Hey, uh, I don't know. Pick, pick, pick your guy. Hey, someone with options who should not be, uh, hey, Santiago Espinal, we're optioning you today because we're just going to add a, a guy for whatever reason. Espinal's not a great example because he'd be playing in that game, but yeah. whoever, you just do it for the sake of, uh, the sake of, maximizing or minimizing game 162, I guess. Yeah, I think the Blue Jays will do what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, in terms of that kind of roster juggling stuff, they added Cam Eden to the roster yesterday. He's a guy you and I had touched on a little bit in the past. Um, BNS and I ha- had talked about him when we were uh, heading into September 1st about like, hey, who could maybe get added to the 40 man? And it ended up being Mason McCoy. But of course, when it comes to playoff roster eligibility, there's always a loophole and there's always a loophole to the loophole. So Cam Eden is a guy who, even though he wasn't on the 40 man September 1st, could absolutely find his way onto a playoff roster. He is a guy for anyone who doesn't know, he went 53 of 57 stealing bases in the minor leagues this year. He has a success rate of almost 92% over his minor league career. And to hear the scout people that I've talked to tell it, he is the best defensive outfielder in the Blue Jays farm system. Um, What did you make of them adding Cam Eden and I mean, adding him in general, but also now versus a a couple weeks back. It's interesting. He would have been rule five eligible. So you kind of get ahead of that a little bit and kind of indicates that Blue Jays are looking at him for a 40 man Mm -hmm. roster spot this upcoming off season. I think they need to get the Band-Aid ripped off as far as getting him into a big league game yeah. and getting him onto base and just seeing like how the speed of the game is different and how pitchers vary their times better, like stealing bases in the minors and the majors, very different things, right? Like the, the quality of catcher. Even the pitch clock is different. Yep. And how it's utilized. And they changed it two weeks ago again. So <laughs> Pitchers have better pickoff moves. Pitchers are better at varying their times to the plate. They, you know, changing their delivery speeds. Catchers have bigger arms and better, you know, lower pop times. So I think just getting him exposure to that will be big down the stretch because he's someone who could have utility in a, in a wild card series in that Bradley Zimmer role and look Bradley Zimmer didn't make the wildcard roster last year it's kind of surprised because I thought that there was utility there so I mean it's also like kind of what they told us the whole year with how they utilized him and keeping him on the roster and then claiming him again once they had lost him off the roster was yeah we don't see this guy having utility in game 71 but a guy who is a pinch run and defensive replacement specialist absolutely the role for that guy in a three game series where every single edge matters. Um, I, w- I remember being very caught off guard by Zimmer, not, not making that wild card roster. I think the blue Jays thought process is this is something we would consider for mm-hmm. a wild card series. And we're not necessarily going to do it, but we want that guy to have been at least exposed to what that's going to look like mm-hmm. down the stretch. It's like Jamie Ritchie, right? Yeah. Jamie Ritchie's with the club right now, just to sit in on meetings, see the processes, like the pitch racks, how information gets um, distributed and, utilized like what it's like working with Pete Walker and with the pitching staff getting to know guys personalities relationships that could help him if knock on wood Alejandro Kirk gets injured or Tyler Heineman gets injured and all of a sudden he's on a wild card roster so I think it's similar with Cam Eden where it's like we're not necessarily going to carry you in a wild card series but if we do we want you to understand like the speed of the game at this level Mm -hmm. and how we do things how we get signs to our runners and just what it's like we want to just like uh, you know alleviate that transition or that jump to getting to that position and if you end up being in a Dalton Pompey spot in uh, in a playoff game Hopefully you can steal us a couple bags. Yeah. It's also a bit of a weird one too, where like 
obviously you try someone who grades as a very good center fielder you absolutely believe they'll be able to handle left or right but when you've played the bulk of your time in center field now he's played uh eight games in left this year and 20 something in right so he's he has a little bit of experience there but i'd imagine also if you're playing left field and you're used to being a center fielder and you look over and kevin kiermeyer is the center fielder next to you you're playing left field a little different too like all of those little things have uh you you don't want the lights to be too bright if you need to get to that situation yeah absolutely it's not somebody that you want at the plate in a big spot. No, uh, not even for the Bisons. <laughs> no, but someone who uh, it sounds like could certainly, you know, handle himself in a major league outfield. Yeah, I mean, 53 for 57 stealing bases is also uh, pretty good. Now, I, I'm curious. So you said, you know, we, we have to see what the adjustment is like here to the major league speed and, and pitchers and catchers and things like that. When you just look at the Blue Jays in general, though, and you think of a guy in a Pompeyish role. Let's say that that's why let's say Cam Eden's on the wildcard roster and that's what they're thinking with that spot. And keep in mind too, you can keep with it only being a three game series. You could always go 14 position players too, and have Cam Eden as kind of a 14th man and a shorter, uh, a shorter pitching side. The Toronto Blue Jays have the eighth fewest stolen bases this year. They have not been super aggressive when it comes to stealing bases um, in general. They do have the fifth most caught stealing. So maybe that's a matter of, they just don't have the, the guys for it. Um, but when you look at that relative to what the league's done this year, that they haven't been very aggressive in that spot. Would you see Cam Eden more? Like, do you think they would green light him to steal bases? Or is this more of a Zimmer Lucas type where like, hey, we really trust this guy to go first to third on every single second to home on every single that kind of thing. It's kind of baffling. I thought coming into the year that the Blue Jays were going to be a really good base running team. And they've actually been. Nope. One of the worst uh, yes. in baseball. They are uh, fourth in outs. Uh, this does not include caught stealing. Fourth in outs on the base paths, and the three teams ahead of them are the three like most aggressive teams in baseball, like Cincinnati, Tampa Bay, Chicago, uh, the Cubs, with like taking the extra base, and they're also very good at it. They just try it so often. So, like on a percentage effectiveness basis, the Jays are probably the worst base running team that actually tries base running, uh, at least among like the higher volume teams. The AL East also the worst environment for base running. Mm. Like the Yankees, terrible base running team. Like the Red Sox have been terrible. Like there's just every team in this division for some reason. By the way, this is a a niche baseball thing that I think only you would appreciate. Did you, have you seen the thing the Yankees are doing sometimes on double play balls in the infield where they'll have the runner from first run through second base to try to like, just as like a, Hey, this will disrupt whoever's making the, the transfer. Uh, so when I saw, I forget who it was. The other night. Yeah. When I saw Claver do it the other night, I was like, this, that, you know, this guy's played how much baseball that has to be purposeful, yeah. right? Because he would actually have to change his muscle memory to yeah. not slide in that spot because he's been sliding in that spot for like 20 years. <laughs> so clearly this is something that he, they've said, no, your instinct is wrong. We want you doing something else the Yankees have been ahead of the curve on a lot of base running stuff I know yeah the the jump lead the jump lead right I know that runs counter to what I just said but like the you know they've got a coach like in their organization who literally just does base stealing Mm -hmm. and base running like that's this guy's job and he probably makes eighty thousand dollars a year to do that it's kind of you know that's those are the when people talk about the Yankees resources it's not just payroll it's analytics it's coaching it's development uh, it's cheating, you know, it's pitch <laughs> tips. It's all that stuff, right? They yeah. just pour a ton of money into everything. So 
they have like a coach who, like you said, the jump leads. They yeah. brought that to the major leagues this year and had some success with it. And saw... Volpe has been very successful with a guy who has the most experience with it. 24 for 29, I think, stealing bases. You've seen other teams try to emulate it. So I haven't like dove in enough on what's going on with that running through second, but I will give the Yankees the benefit of the doubt that if they're doing it, there's probably a good reason why they're doing it. And it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Yeah. Uh, okay. So back to the Jays side of this, you, you anticipated them being one of the better base running teams in baseball. We heard all off season and spring training about the emphasis on that um, by fan graphs, base running metric. They're the seventh worst base running team. I mean, we can split it up however you want, but there, I think we can agree that they have not been a good base running team. Um, so with respect to Cam Eden or just generally, what do you make of that? I, it was, I thought that because of the personnel, mm-hmm. right. And I looked at Kiermaier and Varsho and Merrifield and Springer, Bo Bichette, like I, you know, Matt Chapman a good runner. Yeah, Biggio Chapman. Like I just looked at personnel and I thought, yeah, it's a team that will run the bases well. It's kind of similar to the home runs thing. I looked at the personnel and I thought, oh, George Springer will hit 25 and Vlad will hit 30 and Bo will hit 25. And here we are right now and nobody even has 25. 18th in the league in home runs though. I would have put Chapman up at at 25 as well. Um, And that's probably, it's honestly my biggest concern for this team in the postseason is the lack of power. But so it's, it's kind of similar to that where I looked at the personnel and we haven't had that outcome I don't know why it might just be a weird baseball thing on both mm-hmm. sides of the home run and with the base running. But I even still look at this team on paper now and I'm like, this team should hit for power. This team should run the base as well. But over 152 games, they haven't done either of those things. And like the power side is at least like, okay, well that can slump and it's ballpark specific and who knows, maybe there's, you get some good luck one day and some bad luck the other day, but base running and defense are supposed to be, and this is why they hammered at home in spring and things like that is like, those are supposed to be the things that don't slump and they travel well. And like, those are the things you are in control of. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a little perplexing. I, I don't think I'm as worried about the base running in a playoff environment. I just like, There are enough veterans, and I know everyone wants to pull their hair out every time one of these things, like the Espinal, he ended up being safe on review, taking second the other day in a situation where, you know, that extra 90 feet didn't really do much for you in the the game situation, or a couple in the 13-inning game against Boston where, you know, you could have had an extra bag or you didn't get the extra bag. Um, I just kind of, I guess I assume the attention to detail will be higher in a playoff environment. Do you have that same faith or yeah, you're shrugging here. I, I, I don't. assume, yeah. I assume otherwise yeah. I don't know. Buck's going to have an aneurysm if they don't, but I assume. Yeah, but like, they haven't yet. So I don't know. Like it's to me, the, the big concern with the postseason is the power. And that's mm-hmm. because like in the postseason, it is so hard to string together hits. You look at the way that they scored against Michael King yesterday, right? Three singles. You don't do that in the playoffs. You do it very, very when you're play, seldom. You're playing against such good pitchers. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, all the bad pitching staffs are gone. And then of the remaining pitching staffs, they've cut their fifth starter and they've cut all their lower leverage bullpen guys. They're concentrating all of their innings towards their mo- their their best arms. And you don't ever, even good starters, you don't see them a third time. You're seeing matchup relievers in the sixth inning, right? And you're seeing guys who are pitching really precisely to a game plan that has been devised over a matter of weeks through advanced scouting for you to target your weakness, right? To exploit your weaknesses in the postseason, the last three years. You know the Guillen number, I'm sure, the Aussie Guillen number. That's the percentage of runs that are scored via home run. Okay. Right. So in the regular season, it's around 40%, around 40% of runs in the regular season scored by home run. In the postseason, it's 
goes mm. up 10%. Last three years, each of the last three years, half the runs scored have been via home run. So if you're not hitting home runs, you're not winning in the postseason. Last year, last postseason, there were 25 teams that did not hit a home run in a game. They lost 18 of those 25 games. <sighs> Average two runs per game. You have to hit home runs to win in the postseason because it is so, so hard to string together hits and to play small ball as much as it's like a bit of a misnomer even that people say, that's ah, how you win in the postseason. You scratch across runs and you bunt and you steal bases. No, you hit home runs. Yeah, That's how you win in the postseason. So I think the Blue Jays need to figure out a way to hit more home runs in a hurry. Yeah, and that's look, if both teams are struggling to hit home runs and you can't assume that, like it, it is a bit of a weird thing too where like if the overall offensive environment has decreased, the value of a small ball move actually increases, right? Like if you, if you only, if your expected runs for the game is only two and you can move a guy from second to third and sacrifice an out for it, the, the math on that shifts a little bit. But if you like, if that's that holds and 50% of your runs are coming via the home run, well, you really can't afford to give up an out because that's one of your 27 cracks at, at hitting a home run. It's funny how kind of the, the math works in both directions there. Now, close game late and you're the home team. Certainly, you're going to see some playoff small ball. It, it's, just going to, uh, it's just going to happen. But I guess to the, the larger takeaway from this is that while we can be frustrated with the base running and we can look at a Cam Eden thing and things like that, the more important thing is going to be for your best hitters to hit really well um quick note from chris black sports producer who such a big fan of jay's talk plus that he has emailed in the show with some extra information for us the jays per Statcast base running numbers are dead last in the league in terms of how often they're safe when they try to take the extra base um whether that's you know first to third on a single and things like that however it is like so heavily concentrated to vladimir guerrero jr and alejandro kirk right that like most of the players on the team grayed out average or better um Guerrero and Kirk are like down near the very bottom of the league and Chapman's had like a, a curiously bad year on the bases um when it comes to that but yeah so there's a little extra context there they're they're dead last in something we don't think will matter quite as much come playoff time but they're also pretty bad in a thing we think will matter a lot come playoff time. I know one of Black's big uh, hobby horses this year too is that like everybody on the Blue Jays across the board has had a decrease in max sprint speed or maybe hmm. it's average sprint speed. Like no, nobody's getting better at base running, and it's kind of, it's it's just kind of baffling for guys yeah. like you know Bo Bichette. And- yeah, you'd expect it with like if if you said that for Springer, Whit Merrifield, and Kevin Kiermaier, would be like, yeah. sure, those are guys in their mid thirties now, and like they're still good, but they're not going to just like belt it down the first baseline as much as we've seen in the past. But yeah, like. Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and those guys not having it. Santiago Espinal going from like an average runner to like the slowest second baseman in baseball has been a weird one too. That's a great example of a guy who you would not expect to be declining in terms of speed at this Mm -hmm. point in his career and who has. So there's like, there is some baffling stuff going on with the speed and with the base running with this team that uh, I unfortunately do not have answers. Everyone's too focused on the show muscles. It slows you down on the cardio (laughs) side. Um, Yeah, I don't know. So I guess to to wrap this this part of the conversation before we take a break and get a little more granular on on tonight's stuff, um, Cam Eden... You want to see them in some games here, but they can probably only do that if they're in comfortable spots or they get into the Bradley Zimmer, Nathan Lucas part of a game and then playoff time. You're kind of just you're you're you sound kind of agnostic about it. Yeah, I think that ultimately like you want to get into a game with a big lead or a game that's relevant 162 and just give them some reps and give them some exposure. 
I think it's possible he's not even on the wild card roster. Yeah. If he is, I think it's possible we don't even see him in one of those games. Um, so, you know, I don't think this is somebody that we're going to be talking about. You know, whatever the outcome of the Blue Jays season and playoffs is, I don't, I'm not sure that's somebody who's going to be mentioned. No, I think yeah. the only other note on the Cam Eden potential utilization that I'll say here is if you're thinking of scenarios he could get into a game, um, maybe in a scenario where Dalton Varshall gets pinch hit for, and you don't have to move a second baseman to left field. Right. You have that defensive outfielder that they've always had in Lucas or Zimmer over the years, but they don't currently have on the roster until the Cam Eden move. That's the one other scenario where I could see him getting into a game down the stretch here. But yeah, it's someone I was thinking about for like Arizona fall league a week ago, Yeah, you know, which by the way, asked me about AFL in the second half. That is in my notes nice. for the second half. Uh, we got, uh, we're getting Mitch White's last start tonight. We got Ricky Tiedemann starting at AAA this weekend. Uh, Arelvis Martinez closing the season. Very, very hot here. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll take a look at potential Arizona Fall League uh, rosters. And then, yeah, we'll we'll take a look, uh, a closer look at Gosman's life for, night from last night. We'll set up Barrios against Garrett Cole. As Jay's Talk Plus continues with Arden Zwelling on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, Arden Zwelling of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Still with me here. Uh, you can hear him for the final six games of the season on the radio call with Ben Wagner down at Rogers Center. Maybe he'll get to call Cam Eden's first appearance. Uh, we talked a little bit about Cam Eden. We've talked a lot of this year. Um, unexpectedly, you always know someone is going to come up, but you don't know who it's going to be. And, you know, er, in the early parts of the Jay's Talk Plus season, we were talking about a guy that many people weren't all that familiar with named David Schneider. And, you know, last year, Spencer Horwitz started getting some buzz, didn't end up mattering until late this year. And then, you know, he's a, a key figure in a game like yesterday. All the pieces matter. Every little thing matters. And at this time of year, yeah, maybe Cam Eden comes up and he doesn't have uh, a role. Maybe he doesn't even get into a game down the stretch here, although I think they'd probably try to at least Mason McCoy him into one. Um, but this is to say that even close to playoff time here, it's worth keeping an eye on what's going on in the minor leagues because all this stuff matters. It can matter for right now. It can matter as soon as next year. If Alan Roden suddenly Davis Schneider's his way into a midseason call up because the bat skill is, is so good. Um, at the start of this year though, the prospect we were giving the most airtime to, and everyone was most expecting to see at some point, maybe even this time of year, helping out of the bullpen or something like that was Ricky Tiedemann. Tiedemann wrapped his double-A season with New Hampshire last weekend. He's going to get a start in with triple-A Buffalo at some point this weekend. Um, not today. We know Mitch White's the starter today. We don't know exactly what day Tiedemann's going. Um, Arden, let's talk about Tiedemann a little bit. Not necessarily about this triple-A start, but we will also find out in the next week or so what's going on for the Arizona Fall League. Always an interesting choice to see, you know, who the Jays send down and why. Is it to get more reps? Is it to get you at a higher competition level? You getting a longer look at a guy who's maybe Rule 5 eligible this year. Um, let's start with Ricky Tiedemann, though. What have you heard about how Tiedemann's closed the season since coming back from that biceps injury? And should we expect him as part of an eventual Arizona Fall League announcement? Yeah, it was not. Oh. 
your uh, cool. there we excuse go. Excuse me. It was not the season that like anybody expected Ricky Tiedemann mm-hmm. to have. Like I think there were scenarios in which Ricky Tiedemann reached the majors this year if he'd stayed healthy and performed and been effective. Like the stuff is that legit and that overpowering, and you see it when he comes back to the you know high double A level after the biceps injury, and he strikes out eighty percent of the dudes he faces. Yeah, there's one game he <laughs> all eleven outs he recorded were via the strikeout. Yeah, so there was like absolutely scenarios in which Ricky Tiedemann would have been on the big league team this year. Unfortunately, did not come to fruition. He is at least getting up to AAA this week, which will be a, a good test for him. But more than anything, just needs innings. And Buffalo Bisons are still playing. They have innings to give. It'll be a good test against elevated competition. I think if he comes through that and he feels good and he wants to continue pitching and the Blue Jays want him to continue getting workload in, I think he'll go to Arizona and he'll pitch there. And that'll be a cool showcase because you're facing like a lot of top prospects, a lot of really good hitters. I'll never forget like the Arizona Fall League game where Nate Pearson threw 104 to Pete Alonso and Pete Alonso hit it out and every, you know with like a 118 exit velo or something crazy and everyone was just gobsmacked at what was happening. It's there's it's a really high level of competition and it's a good test and for Ricky I think just a way for him to squeeze some more development out of this season, try to come back in 2024 healthy, consistent, effective. And then I think very realistic in 2024 that he's impacting the Blue Jays. Could he win a job out of spring training? Certainly. I think the Blue Jays are going to want to come into the season with him in a depth position where they have options ahead of him. And then if somebody gets injured, if somebody underperforms, they're going to Ricky midseason. But yeah, he's definitely somebody who uh, it's, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how this career evolves because the stuff is ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's so great. And I mean, even just to get the innings in uh, to make sure that you're working from a, a larger base of workload, you know, we're, we're well past the Verducci rule of only increase your innings by 25 or 30 innings a, a year. But yeah, you want to get him some, some more work in. So when it comes to these Arizona Fall League um, decisions, look, a lot goes into it. Tiedemann is a, a straightforward one as a top prospect. You want to get more experience and needs the innings work. The three pitchers we saw the Jays send to Arizona fall league last year um, didn't really end up, you know, registering much, even on the prospect front last year, they sent Hunter Gregory, Troy Watson and Anders Tolhurst who, uh, you know, not, particularly on the radar uh, right now on the hitter side, you know, Tanner Morrison and Zach Britton, not that Zach Britton, the, the hitter, Zach Britton, um, you know, like Tanner Morris has settled in as, as kind of just a guy, uh, Zach Britton, I, I know missed a huge chunk of this year. So maybe that's not a fair evaluation, but Addison Barger was a really big piece of that Arizona fall league uh, look last year as they thought about, you know, Hey, is it, is it 40 man time for Addison Barger? Could he contribute to the major leagues uh, this time of year? Um, who, when you look at some of the names in the organization on the position player side, is there anyone that stands out to you as either a guy you'd like to see in that environment competitively or someone who's headed for rule five that you think, Hey, it'd be, it'd be nice to get a longer look at that guy. Zach Britton was my sleeper coming into this year, by the way, he had a knee issue and Mm -hmm. missed so much time, but just looking at like the walk rates that he had posted in recent years, some of the the discipline, the power that he, some ability to play behind the plate as well. Yeah. And he, the Blue Jays have been trying to get him away from that. And he keeps saying, no, 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 I want to keep playing catcher. Because he sees that as a way to get to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, I'm not putting a Dalton Varsho comp on him, but like in that, with that type of versatility, like we saw from Varsho early in his Arizona career, Britton was an interesting guy in spring. Unfortunately, 
got hurt. So like you mentioned with some of those names, like it's not always the ones that you would expect. Like teams utilize the Arizona Fall League either to get guys some more playing time, some more reps. If you, you know, a pitcher who needs more innings, who is hurt, position player who needs some more plate appearances or is even like learning a new position and you want to get them exposure there. Use it also to continue your evaluation process on rule five eligible guys. You're thinking, hmm, maybe we got to add this guy to the 40. That could also be a showcase for potential off-season trades because there's a ton of scouts at the Arizona Fall League. Everyone watches it. It's a good level of competition. So I think the teams like put a good level of value on performance in Arizona for the Blue Jays. I like I think it would fall into those categories. So you look at someone like Ricky Tiedemann who just needs work, right? And you look at some of your, you know, rule five eligible guys. So like Adam Mako comes to mind as a guy who is rule five eligible, just won a championship with Vancouver. Close someone, the season really strong. Close the season really strong. Someone who the Blue Jays are gonna need like to make a decision on because he profiles as that like big armed lefty who a Kansas City Royals could sneak through in their bullpen. Through right. a major league season, if they're hey, we think he's a starter long term, but just for the purposes of nabbing him, we'll use him out of the, you know, we'll Elvis Luciano him. It's that's exactly the comp, right? That's and the name, right? The Elvis guy they kept Luciano. for, him. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. That's exactly the comp. So you could see a team doing that with him, and he's a guy who's had injury, you know, setbacks throughout his young career. So could use some more innings. Could use some. Um, exposure to that environment, a bit more workload. Look at the other guys on that, like Vancouver team, whether it's, you know, Deson Brown was, you know, had a really good year. I think it's Gabriel Martinez. It's not Gabriel. Okay. They call him Gabby. Gabby? So I assumed it was Gabriel. Could be Gabriel. Because it's Gabby, but it wouldn't be the first time that someone's short name was (laughs) not pronounced the same as their longer name. So either way, I could see Martinez going out there. You know, I think that guys like Kay Doty um, has earned it. Maybe Devereaux Harrison, if he needs some more work. Will Robertson's a name that I look at who has shown a lot of power potential. He's Rule 5 eligible. 10 home runs in the last month of the season down at Double A. So, yeah, old for that level, like 25, almost 26. But you hit 10 home runs in a month uh, at any age, at any, like like short of being 26 and playing T-ball, I'm going to catch notice of you hitting 10 home runs in a month. Yeah. Totally. And I think that, you know, guys like Trent Palmer and CJ Van Eyck, who you're kind of making decisions on coming up. The the guy that I'm most interested in, honestly, is Damiano Palmegiani, who uh, is a name I'm going to have to get better at pronouncing uh, because, like I talked about Zach Britton as my sleeper last mm-hmm. year. This is my sleeper for 2024 spring training. So for, for anyone who doesn't know, Palmagiani, uh, a third baseman who's seen some time at, at first base as well because, I mean, as a matter of principle, the Jays bounce everyone around the diamond, but the book on his glove at third base historically has not been uh, awesome, but had a really terrific season at double a this year, hit 19 home runs over uh, just over a hundred games, got the bump to triple a down the stretch here and has been really, really good for Buffalo. Uh, what do you like about him? What's on, why is he on your radar for, for next spring? He's another example of these kind of like later round Uber plate discipline, Uber. 14th rounder in 2021. Yeah. Uber contact quality guys. Like the Blue Jays have done a really good job of uh, identifying these guys later in rounds. Like David Schneider is a great example. Spencer Horowitz, like he is of that ilk where it's a very professional plate appearance. Um, He's got a good amount of power as well, but he doesn't chase that much. When he gets a pitch on the plate, he typically like gets his barrel to it and makes really good contact with it. Um, And he's somebody who was just hit at every level of the Meyer leagues. As you mentioned, got up to triple a and really didn't miss a beat, showed that discipline showed that power 
He's someone who can play first base or third base. Really interested to see how things go for him at third, just considering the roster construction for the Blue Jays at the big league level. Bit advanced in age as well. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about like an 18-year-old, right? Like this is a guy who wouldn't be crazy if he made his big league debut next year. I think he could come into spring training next year and compete. Like I think that the... The the hit stick is what gets you to the big leagues. Like mm-hmm. we can spend all this time worrying about defense and where guys play and how fast Cam Eden is. Yeah, and all we stuff. watched Chris Colabello play left field. Man, we yeah. we saw Adam Lind and Melky Cabrera out there. If yeah. if you can hit, they'll find a spot for you at the big leagues. And Damiano Palmegiani has shown that he can hit. So yeah. um, I'm I'm very interested to see what happens with him. You you talk about that type of player, uh, Brennan Orff, who the Jays took in the 13th round this year, was same same kind of profile and 22 so old for the level, but he played 30 35 games at Dunedin and was just like, yeah, yeah I'm going to walk a quarter of the time, and uh, I don't think he hit a home run, but like that plate discipline, it really does seem like the Jays once you get out of the prime prep school area of the draft, like they look at that ability to navigate the strike zone as a high floor skill set and bet, Hey, we can teach enough power or defense or whatever to, you know, be the finishing school for guys like that. Do you think that's a fair read on on what they, what they're looking for and why? 100%. I think you figure out what you feel that you're good at developing as an organization. So if you think you can help guys add power or like you think that, you know, you, you can help guys just have better barrel control. Then you go and get somebody who already like comes loaded with the play discipline and with the swing decisions or loaded with the contact ability. And okay, now we can get more out of that contact by helping you get the sweet spot to it more, making a swing plane change a little bit. That was a huge thing with Ernie Clement. Like you look at his ground ball rates um, throughout his career. They've always been elevated. Line drive rates have always been low. He comes into the Blue Jays this year. They say, hey, we got some swing plane stuff, some some things that, you know, approach angle stuff we think can help you. Does a bunch of drills with Matt Hag. All of a sudden, ground ball rate goes down, line drive rate goes up. He's tapping better into that contact ability. So you figure out what you think you're good at developing as an organization, and then you target guys who come loaded with the stuff that maybe you're not that great at developing, but then can play well into what you are good at developing. And we're seeing this trend with guys like Schneider, guys like Horowitz, et cetera. Um, last one on Arizona Folly. I can't remember if you said him when you were going through some of those names there, but is CJ Van Eyck on the radar for that? A guy who missed pretty much all of last year and low innings total for this year? Yeah, I mean, guys who are Rule 5 eligible, guys who need work, you know, that's, I think a lot of the time it goes, it's not just your six or seven best prospects. <laughs> Although that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, that, it would be fun if Elvis was going and, you know, like Barger was going back, but... Uh, yeah, I think more so teams, more, certain teams, I should say, try to leverage it as a way to, yeah, get a bit more workload, see a guy in a different position or continue evaluating guys. Data. Who, it's data. Yeah, who we might have to make a decision on. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Arovis just very, very quickly. Uh, he has turned it on after, you know, the the expected adjustment period at AAA when he first got there. What are you hearing about uh, the job he's done with, with the Bison's team? He's at 28 home runs in the minor leagues again this year, but much better walk rates and strikeout rates than last year. Yeah, I think the Blue Jays have been really encouraged with just the progress he's made in terms of swing decisions, discipline, staying within himself at the plate. He got to a point last season where he was like one of the few guys in the minors who was seeing more breaking pitches than fastballs or more off speed than fastball. Like you just don't see that in the minors. Well, because guys can't throw them and can't control them and they're not yeah, that good, right? Exactly. But the book was out and Elvis was swinging at them. So he's made those adjustments. 
there still is a lot of room to develop there and a lot of room to grow. And I think that just in terms of having a plan and approach and mindset, all of those things that go into it, like we take for granted how professional like Davis Schneider and Spencer Horowitz are in their approaches and in what they bring to the plate and how they prepare for games. Like Davis Schneider just does not come out of that approach. You just don't see him sway, mm-hmm. hit chase, right? He's looking middle in, he's trying to pull something in the air and he's being very disciplined. So I think that you know, that's where the gains still are for Arelvis. It's just in plan and preparation, routines, all that stuff. But, I mean, the power is legit. It's fun to have one prospect, like when so many of their good hitting prospects are like elite plate discipline, work the strike zone. But like, yeah, maybe they'll only hit like, like Spencer Horowitz maybe only hits 12 or 15 home runs as a first base slash DH. And then you have a guy who's like, well, he's going to hit like, a lot of 425 foot home runs, but uh, yeah, there might be some, you, it's nice to have one kind of guy going the counter path where it's like, no, 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 we're going to try to teach you swing decisions and and things like that. Um, Okay. Let's, we got five minutes here to swing back to the major league side. Uh, No, this is a guy that you appreciate. We've talked a ton about Kevin Biggio on the show this year, primarily from the hitting side, but man, when you see him make the gains that he's made defensively, at three different positions in the same year when he really doesn't play any of those regularly. Um, I mean, what does that say about him? And how, how do you even functionally do that? Like so much of, especially at third base, it's, it's instinct defense. And he somehow seems to be improving at third, first and right all at once. Well, part of the thing with third base is the last time he played that position consistently. I mean, he had one finger that was fractured. He had another that had a blood blister on it, which is like exactly what it sounds like. And he was having that regularly drained and then he had, like, another finger that was all messed up, probably just sprained. So, like, that impacted his ability not only to hold the bat and perform offensively, but his ability to throw the ball. Um, and I to, think, to your point that you've made a couple times, on the, everyone at this time of year is dealing with something you don't know about. Exactly. So, like, he was so, so banged up. Um, and, it's look, he played through it, and he was on the field. So, if you're on the field and performing, you're evaluated based on that. But... Like that's, it's a consideration in where we saw him at third base recently. I think now he is healthier. Um, I think that he is just like grown into accepting his role a bit more now where like as a big leaguer, he's going to be a guy who plays a bunch of different positions and doesn't play every day and doesn't have like, you are our two hitter every day forever. Like is a guy who just kind of has to move around. Um, and I think that's something that's come to him. As he's gotten older, it's always a mistake to lump him in with Bo and Vlad. Like, people still make this mistake. Like, Kevin Biggio is, like, closer to 30 than he is to 25, you know? And Vlad's not yet 25. <laughs> so, like, Biggio is just kind of a different thing um, as a big leaguer. And, like, he's getting into a place where he should be just settling into who he's going to be at this level. I think there's a way for him to be a big leaguer for a very long time and a productive one at that and a guy who enriches himself very well doing that. And that involves playing a bunch of different positions, preparing to do a lot of different things on a given day. And I think the Cavan has like really come around to embracing that role. And I think the Blue Jays deploy him really intelligently as well. They put him in good positions to succeed, and then he does. So it speaks to his work ethic. It speaks to his maturity. It speaks to his health. There's a lot of things that are coming into this like Cavan Biggio season that we're seeing. He's been a really important part of the team. Uh, Arden, not too close to show talking about my ex in front of you or anything like that. But Ben Nicholson Smith reporting, by the way, uh, while we were on air here, that Alec Manoa's season is officially done. He's received multiple injections in his uh, right pitching arm. 
in recent weeks. So if anyone was, when we talked about, Hey, what if Kikuchi doesn't start uh, on Sunday? What if there's a game 162 weekend? Officially, officially, <laughs> we all assumed it, but officially, officially close the book on it on Manoa's 2023. Yeah. You would be looking at a Richards Francis situation. I think if you needed somebody hey, not else bad earlier in the year. Yeah. And if you kept, if it was Richards, then you'd stay at only seven starters used. Yes. Nice. Yes. Which is a yeah. huge, a huge consideration <laughs> for people like us and Chris Black as we, uh, as Chris gets the graphics ready uh, for the show. Uh, Garrett Cole tonight, obviously uh, a Cy Young candidate. What are you looking for if you're the Blue Jays going up against a guy who throws 97 with consistency up in the zone where they haven't really done that well? And then obviously a very good slider and change up the playoff a bit or slider and curveball rather. You can clip one against Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. Like you can hit your, he'll give up his homers, right? Because he's aggressive and he's on the plate. Rainer Nunez took him deep in spring training. I remember shout out Rainer. Uh, so yeah, just like have an approach, know what you're looking for, understand that, yeah, you're probably going to strike out if you're chasing that slider, but if you know what you're looking for and you force him onto the zone to make a, into the zone to make a mistake, you can clip one. Uh, he's the only guy on the Yankees who's playing for anything yeah. right now. It seems like it's so jarring to see the energy in their environment being as low as it is and to just see the competitiveness of their roster right now being as low as it is. Like my entire life, the New York Yankees have been a good team. I've just, I've never seen this version of the Yankees. They have not finished under five. And this is something like individually, they won't care about this play for They haven't finished under 500 since 1992. And they're at risk of that now, but he is very much still pitching for something. So oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, be ready, have a plan, know what you're looking for, dial in on that, go over three. So what <laughs> the best pitcher in the league uh, and try to get to the pitch that you can clip and maybe ruin his Cy Young chances. Uh, Arden Zwelling, thanks so much for taking the time out today, man. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Caitlin McGrath and David Schoenfield a little earlier. Uh, it is Jose Brios against Garrett Cole tonight at seven o'clock as we wrap this series up. Blair and Barker will have you five to seven to set that one up more. They'll also have you for Jays talk post game. I'm sure Show Ali and Sam McKee are going to talk a bunch of Jays with you uh, coming up here as well. Uh, we will tomorrow set up that Tampa Bay series and potentially take a longer look at Arizona Fall League guys on Jays Talk Plus.